Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about the pros and cons of time-restricted eating and running performance. We'll be talking about what is it, why is it good, and what questions to ask yourself before starting a time-restricted eating plan. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Hi everyone, welcome back. I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen as always. So hi Karen, how are you today? Yes, I'm good. Thank you, Aileen. Um, I've been amongst um, exam revision with Ellie. She's doing school exams online all week this week. So I've been um, doing chemistry revision with her this morning. So I think she was she was teaching me quite a bit, actually. So which was quite good. It's quite a refresher from when we did our our, um, open access course all those years ago, Aileen. Yeah, I remember that very well. Chemistry was the very first module that we did. I actually quite like chemistry because you always get an answer. So that's what yes. about it. You yes. always get an answer in uh, whatever way you do it. Anyway, so Absolutely. oh well, happy days. Happy yes, days. indeed. Not, not not so happy for Ellie, probably. But, no, she's um, a bit stressed by it. But um, it's the middle of the week. She's only got uh, another two days after this. So it's, she's getting there. Brilliant. So today we're going to be talking about time restricted eating. Um, so. As usual, we'll just start with a personal question, Karen. So my question to you is, have you ever tried time-restricted eating and um, do you use it regularly? Um, I have to say, Aileen, it's not something that I incorporate into my eating style on a regular basis. Um, I have sort of used it on occasion. So, for example, I used it um, when I was injured uh, and I was I was out of running for about six weeks. So um, no training whatsoever. And I, I knew that um, I, I really didn't need the same amount of energy intake that I needed when I was actually doing my training. So. Um, 
So what I did was I, I sort of restricted my eating window to between 11 o'clock and 7 o'clock because that worked in with my sort of daily routine. And during that time, I I tended to try and just limit it to two good meals a day. And I have to say, I do think that it really helped me manage my body composition during that time. But it's not something that I use regularly, only because I'm running really long miles sometimes and it doesn't really fit in with my my training style but but how about you Aileen do you integrate time restricted eating into your daily food routine uh yeah I I do Uh, mostly I would say that I follow a 10 a.m to 6 p.m window that that sort of suits me quite well um but I tend to have three meals a day when I do that. So I'm not saying I do it 100%. You know, I think it's probably 80% of my time I would follow that. So I would tend to eat at 10 to and, and just before six on the days that I can. Um, and I find that having the three meals is good for me to balance my blood sugar. If I do two meals, I sometimes have that jittery feeling um, in the mornings and I'm trying to avoid that. So the, the three meals works quite well for me. And that works well if I'm doing a short run in the mornings. I prefer to run in the mornings. So running in a fasted state works quite well. And then I can get back and have breakfast when I return. Mm. Um, but, you know, when I'm doing longer runs or if the timing isn't right, then I might need to have breakfast. So on those occasions, I just really think, okay, I'm going to take a day off it and, and I'll eat in whatever way I, I require to for my training or for, for just general lifestyle. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested to uh, chat about this today and see, see how we can, um, adapt it further. Yes. Okay. So let's, let's move on and just outline what we were going to discuss. So we've said it's all about time restrictive eating and running performance. So we'll begin by outlining what it is and why it's thought to support health and well-being. Uh, then we're going to move on to consider the effects of time restricted eating on running performance. And we'll look at the pros and cons to performance. Um, and finally, let's have a look at how we'll introduce time-restricted eating alongside our running schedule, our running training, and if indeed it's the correct approach for you. Um, so, Karen, can you start off by defining time-restricted eating? Yes, absolutely, Aileen. Uh, and I was reading a paper actually by Morrow, um, and, and, and it's a, a really recent 2020 paper and they were looking at time restricted eating on elite cyclists and and his definition was that time restricted eating is a particular form of intermittent fasting during which the normal period of fasting is between 12 to 23 hours per day and time restricted eating can be performed with or without energy restriction according to Moro um, as long as the individuals adhere to the specified window of time. Now we do uh, mostly hear about the 16 to 8 approach to time restricted eating however um, I do think you can and the studies suggest that it could be sort of 14, 10, 59. It really depends what what works for the individual and their commitment as well as their potential health concerns and their goals that will all determine what window is going to be best for them. 
Yeah, well, that's interesting to know because I'm doing the 16-8 most days. So it's good to know that uh, often people are doing that. So, I mean, you made a good point there, Karen, that time-restricted eating is only one approach to intermittent fasting. And um, I don't know whether people remember, but we did discuss the different approaches to fasting. Um, and that includes the intermittent calorie restriction and alternate day fasting. And we, we talked about that way back in episode 18, uh, which was called Intermittent Fasting and the Female Runner. So if this is something that's interesting to people, I'd really suggest you go back and listen to that episode because um, I think that that's uh, good background information. So, so now let's think about why it supports, why it's thought to be supportive to health and well-being. Well, I mean, the principal reason is it's because our bodies work within a circadian system and that organizes metabolism, uh, physiology and behavior within a daily cycle of circadian rhythms. Um, and that involves the light-dark cycle, um, the feeding fasting schedules that we might be following, and then also activity and in inactivity schedules. Um, and time-restricted eating would fit in within this these various systems. Uh, and it's thought that circadian the circadian system is disrupted um, for, for many reasons. And it increases, when that happens, um, it increases the risk of metabolic disorders such as insulin resistance, diabetes, uh, cardiovascular disease and hypertension. Yeah, that's really well put, actually, Aileen. And thinking about that sort of metabolism aspect of the circadian system, metabolism is managing um, our insulin secretion and its sensitivity, also cholesterol production and fat utilisation, as well as energy expenditure. So you can really understand why in the event of this circadian system being disrupted, these potential metabolic conditions could occur. So it's really fascinating. And also following on from that, study, studies have also found that um, sort of glucose and glucose tolerance tends to peak in the morning uh, with potential impairment of that glucose tolerance in the afternoon and evening. So eating around these peaks and troughs of glucose tolerance using that time-restricted eating approach to maintain insulin sensitivity could potentially be effective in reducing the risk of the metabolic disorders. Yeah, so that's uh, another good reason for trying to observe these um, patterns that we're, we're talking about. Um, and there's a well-known quote, um, which people may have heard of, and it was actually a medieval quote by a Jewish philosopher called Ramban. And uh, his quote was, eat like a king in the morning, a prince at noon, and a peasant at dinner. And, and that's something that many people will have heard of. And it's a, a good general approach to eating and that we would use with our clients, isn't it, Karen? Yes, it is, Aileen. Um, I agree with that. But but if this sort of idea was to be introduced um, with a time-restricted approach, then the timing 
of those meals may have to be adjusted. So, for example, you know, um, Rambam saying about eating eating breakfast like a king, but that timing of breakfast would maybe have to be delayed. But it would really depend on within what eight-hour window the individual is is eating. Uh, but the research, like you say, it, it, it does suggest that we eat our main meal in the morning, possibly stop eating mid-afternoon. But gosh, how, how sociable would that be? Even if we were to stop at two, three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I think that would be quite difficult. Mm. Um, I mean, I do think, I mean, I tend to, just sort of thinking about what you were saying there, Karen, I tend to have even-sized meals, but maybe, um, you know, I should be eating a bit more at breakfast um, and, you know, have smaller meals as the, as the day goes on rather than having it sort of fairly evenly spread. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting um, how, how we can adapt. <laughs> but, wow. yeah, you've got to be pretty dedicated to miss out your evening meal with friends and family, haven't you? Exactly. And I think for you, Aileen, you know, you're saying you have to have three meals because you've got to be aware of your, uh, of potentially um, how you feel if you, if you don't have the three meals a day. But maybe looking at this and what was we're speaking about, having that bigger meal at breakfast and then smaller as the day goes on might support your blood sugar balance going yeah. in the long term. Might be worth trying. Yeah, definitely. I think I will um, have a little mm. go at that and report back. Yes, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, whatever we do, obviously it needs to be practical and it does need to fit in with people's lifestyles. Yeah. Um but, but Karen, I thought we could just move on and look at the factors that are thought to influence the circadian system. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, Aileen. And, and the circadian system, as we're calling it, is actually made up of two parts. So there's, there's the central clock. Now, that's located in the hypothalamus part of the brain, which, um, which regulates metabolism. And that's primarily through cortisol and melatonin. So when you think that cortisol is at its highest first thing in the morning to get us go get us up and get us going and then melatonin is at its highest in the evening because it's promoting uh, promoting sleep so these are the 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 two principal um, regulators of the central clock along with the autonomic nervous um, system as well but I won't go into details about that here Aileen um, so you've got the central clock and then the second part of this system is a series of peripheral clocks and they're located in, in virtually all of the other body tissues really so thinking about liver, skeletal muscle, fat as well and, and also the, the gastrointestinal tract so, so everywhere really now, the central clock's rhythm is primarily determined by bright light. However, the rhythms of the peripheral clocks are determined more by the central clock itself, but also by external factors, um, as well as, as, as certain other metabolites um, in the system as well. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating, Karen. And I, I know that um, one of the recommendations um, to reset the central clock every day is to get out into bright light early in the morning. Um, so that's a simple thing that people can do. And, you know, as runners, that's an easy thing for us to do. But if you're a, a late in the day runner, maybe just going outside and having a walk or having a cup of tea in the garden when the weather's okay, uh, that would be a good thing to to help. And I know even with clients that I've got who, you know, I've got clients with um, things like 
um, chronic fatigue syndrome and ME and, you know, they really struggle to move. And uh, I just get them to say, okay, just sit in the garden for, for 10 minutes every morning and that helps to reset the central clock. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's move on and think about some of the external factors that you mentioned that could affect um you know these clock systems what would they be Karen? Yeah so these external factors um thought to be affecting the peripheral circadian rhythms they're known as zeitgebers uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right actually Aileen but um it's good it, it's good enough and <laughs> this word was actually coined by Jürgen Aschoff who is a German and he was one of the founders of the field of chronobiology so so that biological rhythms so he coined this word zeitgebers for these for these um, external factors and some of these factors include light like we've spoken about also feeding so what we eat um, physical activity so whether it's optimal or habitually low um, with a lot of prolonged sitting and also as much as the physical activity it's also about its timing as well and then sleep what is the quantity and what is the quality of sleep and then more recently uh, timing of food intake was added to that list of, of factors. Now because different stimuli set the phases of the central and the peripheral, peripheral clocks, the two clocks tend to become misaligned whenever the respective zeitgebers, so these, these respective external factors, become out of sync. And, and when you think that the two clock systems jointly coordinate interdependent sort of um, metallic pathways, um, metabolism is then disrupted when they're misaligned. So, so it sounds really complicated, but I, I think what it's saying is that it's this misalignment and they've been coming out of sync that's thought to lead to the development of the metabolic conditions. Or some of them. Yeah, I mean, it is very sophisticated and, and almost complicated, but very fascinating at the same time. And, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, the our modern way of living, you can see how it would disrupt so many different things because mm -hmm. how many people have a, a routine that they follow. Um, I remember years ago being on holiday in Morocco and we were up in the mountains and it struck me that the people there, because there's no street lights up there, so the people are up in the light and in the dark, mm -hmm. they rest, you know, and it's just nature is controlling yeah. that situation. And we don't have that in the Western world, do we? No, absolutely. Um, so you can see why, um, you know, there's so many of these external factors, these like gebbers that you mentioned, um, you know, can cause so much disruption. Mm. Um, so if we if we were to pull this all back to time-restricted eating and, and its role within these clock cycles or circadian rhythms, as they're also known, um, I think what you're saying, Karen, is that the timing of food intake is a potential Zeitgeber. Um, so in order for the circadian rhythms to remain synchronized, food intake should be within a specific time frame and the majority of the energy being consumed in the morning when glucose tolerance is at its highest. Yeah. 
absolutely alien. How, however, it is it is also proposed that delaying breakfast to say around ten a.m. when you have yours, Aileen, uh, may be bit beneficial because there is an influx of glucose from the cortisol stimulated liver glucose production at around eight o'clock uh, in the morning when cortisol levels peak. So maybe by delaying eating could help maintain blood sugar balance. So it sounds as though what you're doing at the moment, dealing with your cycle of eating, is really supporting blood sugar balance. But also um, insulin release, so as well as this glucose release, insulin release and sensitivity are higher early in the day. So again, could potentially metabolize a large breakfast more efficiently. But insulin release and sensitivity then drops off in the evening. So potentially eating a meal late in the evening could impair that glucose tolerance and result in blood sugar imbalance. And then the repercussions of that, including hormonal imbalance, weight gain and these metabolic disorders that we spoke about earlier. So so really by, by eating in a way that maintains clock cycle synchronicity, we are potentially reducing the risk of these metabolic disorders occurring. But 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 I think it's important because we're looking at the timing of eating here, but all the external factors really need to be optimal to maintain that overall cycle synchronicity. Mm. Okay, so we've established the what and the why of time-restricted eating. Um, Shall we have a look at how uh, time-restricted eating might affect Mm -hmm. running performance? So, Karen, at the beginning, you said that we would look at the pros and cons of time-restricted eating on running. Um, So could you begin with some of the potential pros to this way of eating? Yeah, sure, Aileen. And I think um, one of the, the pros that has come out of, of studies that have been done is, is weight loss. Um, and, and certainly that's what I find when I did utilise it. It was, well, it really supported me in maintaining that body composition. And there was a study um, carried out in in 2015 that showed that 16 weeks of time-restricted eating. Now, their time-restricted eating window was 10 hours of eating, so it was the 14-10, and that led to a weight loss of approximately 3% of body mass. And what they found was that they managed to maintain that um, that reduction in body mass over a 12-month period. So this potentially shows that for runners, it could be a good approach for attaining weight loss and maintaining it over the long term. So I think that's a positive to, to, to this way of eating. Also linking it to energy intake, because there aren't, there aren't any restrictions around the amount of energy consumed within the eating window, that could potentially mean that it's suitable for some endurance runners um, who require a substantial amount of energy intake to fuel fuel the running. They just have to make sure that they they, they take that energy within within their window. And um, also, I want uh, another um, thought is that it might be supportive for this transient hypoglycemia, which we've spoken about before, which can occur for some people when they start running their their blood glucose dips, and then it sort of it recollaborate. Re- 
oh I can't calibrate <laughs> yeah that's the word sorry I can't get that right my tongue that one and um and then evens out again so the so the glycemic control attributed to to time restricted eating could ha- maybe prevent or hopefully reduce the incidence of this transient hypoglycemia in runners who are susceptible to it so that's a possibility and then sort of thinking about fat oxidation which we speak about a lot this utilization of fat as fuel and and because um time restricted eating extends the length of time spent in the fasted state exercise carried out during this fasted state period could increase the efficient use of fat as fuel therefore preserving those glycogen stores so Aileen if you so that's some ideas of of sort of positives of of time restricted eating have you got any suggestions of potential cons um or negatives of introducing a a time restricted approach for runners yeah well you were you were talking there about um you know body composition and i was thinking that you know there is a potential um for um muscle loss so currently you were speaking about weight loss as a possible a sort of positive uh, approach um, benefit of time restricted eating um, but there's a possibility that weight loss is due to muscle mass as well as fat mass uh, which you know might be detrimental to running performance so just got to bear that in mind I think yeah, and I think that's a really good point because in the study that I've just spoken about and also others that I've I've read, um, they, they didn't actually determine whether it was fat or muscle mass that led to the weight loss. So, um, so, so I think that is a good point and something to bear in mind. Um, but what about other potential detrimental effects to running performance? Anything that you can think of if somebody was to be following this r- approach to eating? Yeah, well, I sometimes think that, you know, when you are able to eat um, anything you choose to without concerning yourself about um, the amount of food, um, you you might be led into making poor food choices. Um, So that's just a, you know, it might, for most people, it might not be an issue, but I think it's just a cautionary word. So if you are making whatever food choices you make, make sure that you choose nutrient-dense foods as well as energy-dense foods. Um, and, you know, if you don't make the right choices, that could be detrimental to your running performance, but also your general health over the long term. So um, I was chatting to somebody recently, a friend who they're doing um, fasting and they were talking about pancake day coming up soon. And so they were just going to swap their fasting day to a different day that week so that they could have a, a bit of a binge on the pancakes, which is, you know, fine, um, you know, fine to enjoy something like that. But you just have to be careful that you're not doing that kind of thing all the time and that you're still following a really healthy food plan, even on the, you know, during your time restrictive eating times um uh, and also when thinking about what type of running you're doing and how long you're out running it's important not to run more than 90 minutes in the fasted state um as this could lead to fatigue and injury and illness in the long term but also to muscle breakdown um, due to protein being required to fuel you due to the depleted glycogen stores so again it's thinking about your timing of your run so you'd have to think about what window your time restricted eating was um to 
manage those uh, runs in excess of 90 minutes. Um, and then also thinking about stress. So we, we talk a lot about endurance running, um, being a stressor, and, you know, we have a stress response to that. So although time-restricted eating has been shown to support glycemic control, depending on an individual's personal circumstances and their stress load, a time-restricted eating approach may add to the stress and the burden on the body and that could increase um, circulating cortisol and that could lead to inflammation and as we know insulin control is closely linked to cortisol control so again that you have to bear that in mind and um, you know that's where having some advice some professional advice about taking on making these changes would be beneficial um so i think you know from what we've said you know the pros and cons we've talked about you can see that there are you know some strong benefits and um that that the time restricted eating approach might be supportive for some runners but detrimental to others uh, and maybe it's detrimental at certain times of your life depending on what's going on so you really need to think about the personal circumstances and, um, and as I said earlier, working with a practitioner to give you some guidance on what might be the right way forward for you. And, and I think the other thing that I would just add about time-restricted eating, it, it's something that can be switched on and off. You know, so like you, you took it for a, a period of time and that supported you in your goal at that period of time, but then you moved away from it. Um, you know, and I, I sort of tend to be quite flexible with it. And I, I'm really using it as a weight maintenance um, situation. So I think as well as other health benefits, I think they're definitely the wider health benefits are to be considered. Okay, so Karen, I was just wondering if you think there are any female factors that runners need to be considering? Well, I, I think there are definitely factors a female runner needs to consider, but potentially most of them could be re- relevant to male runners as well. So um, so thinking about hormonal balance, for certainly for female runners, um, with any sex potential sex hormone imbalance, time-restricted eating may not be an ideal approach due to that potential stress response that you've just spoken about, Aileen, which could maybe further disrupt the hormone balance. And this could occur for, for males as well, um, but clearly we're, we're speaking about women specifically. And then thinking about pregnancy, definitely not a recommended approach for any runners who are pregnant. And there are a lot of um, people who still run in pregnancy, uh, but but really not using time-restricted eating during this time due to the the real additional energy and nutrient requirements that are needed during that time. So, and then also maybe thinking about people who run distances of half marathon, full marathon, and, and definitely ultra marathon, and really thinking about the intensity of the training and the long distances and being run during training time restricted you didn't wouldn't particularly be recommended due to the limitations of um of that fasted state running so thinking about the 90 minutes but also and um, the limited ability to take on sufficient energy during the eating window what i'm thinking is that it 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 could be that a, a 14 10 approach um, might work for some people, say uh, um, runners doing half marathon distance. But I do think that practice would be required, and um, and I would be a bit concerned about the long term effects of it for for a, a really long distance runner. It might work in the short 
short term, but the detrimental effects to health and performance in the long term uh, might not be worth it. Um, but but what I, I do think, um, and, and speaking about you switching it off and switching it on, Aileen, I do think that maybe these runners could think about introducing it, um, the time restricted eating during their off season or when they're do they've got a low training period. That certainly is a time that they could they could uh, potentially introduce it. Great, that's that's really helpful, Karen, to think about those different. Um factors that that may affect us. Um, So just to have a quick summary before we move on. So we've addressed both the potential positives and drawbacks to introducing time-restricted eating. uh, And the outcome uh, really is that we need an individualized approach, um, which is really key. And it's important to recognize that it may not be suitable for all runners, especially uh, longer distance runners. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So um, so I'm just thinking, Aileen, before we move on to discuss ideas of how to introduce time-restricted eating into a daily plan, um, if it is appropriate, um, shall we Shall we take a short advert break? Yeah, sure. So uh, this is the point of the uh, episode where Karen and I just take a minute to uh, talk to you about some of the things that we do outside of the podcast. Um, so um, if you've not listened to us before, um, Karen and I are just like you, we're busy working women. We run for health, fitness, achievement and fun. Um, But even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles. Um, However, we've managed to resolve most of those struggles with a good foundational everyday healthy eating plan that we fine tuned with sports nutritional principles, which have helped maximize our running performance, uh, importantly, minimize injury and uh, and what we did was we turned our plans into um, a program called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners uh, because we recognize that there's lots of people who uh, need some help with putting advice into action. Um, so we created a, a short and sweet video program, um, which you can complete in 30 minutes a day over two weeks, or you can take as long as you want to. You can spread the, the modules and the videos over a longer period. Um, so if you've been thinking, um, you know, while we've been talking today that you'd like to know more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition, this program is really a great place to give you information and easy action steps to and and as well as it being a video program Karen and I are there uh, on hand to answer any personal questions you have to help you get the best out of the program so if you're interested you can find all the details on our website which is runnershealthhub.com just look at the top menu bar click on online program and you'll find everything there and if you've got any questions about the program please email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com Great. Thank you, Aileen. So now let's think about how to introduce the time-restricted eating alongside our training. So I think there are a few questions um, individuals need to ask themselves before they begin introducing this. And I think some of the questions are, within how many hours will your eating window be? What will work for you? Is it the 14-10, the 15-9, or the 16-8? And these are the three windows that 
that have shown the most positive results in studies. That's why I'm sort of quoting them here. Um, Another question I think you need to ask yourself is, at what time of the day will you start and end your eating? Will you begin at 10 a.m. and end at 6 p.m.? Or will you begin eating as late as midday and stop eating at 8 o'clock? And how how do your timing decisions fit in with your work, your home, your family situation? All these things need to be taken into into consideration. Um, they really need to be, I think, addressed and any pot- potential difficulties overcome before beginning time restricted eating. Or else, I do think that it might not work, and you may be setting yourself up to fail. So, really, sort of sort of working out all these difficulties first and also how do your timing decisions fit in with with when you train so and I think this is really important to ensure that your eating window allows you to eat following and some cases and in some cases before it depends when you train but making sure that your eating window fits around your particular um, training style. So that they're really great questions. I think anybody could ask themselves and um, maybe a starting point would be practicing those windows on non-training days uh, or on days where you're doing short training runs and just seeing how they work for you before you start adding in, um, you know, the big training days. Um, but an- another question you might want to ask yourself before you begin is, is this the correct approach for me? Uh, will it support my training or hinder my running performance? And, and we've already discussed it potentially might not be appropriate for long distance runners, um, but they could re- introduce it during their off season when, when training's light. So I think once you've made the decision that it's correct for you, um, you know, let's have a look at some ideas of how you could introduce it to maximize the benefits to your running. So, um, I think, as I said earlier, I'd really recommend you start slowly. Um, think about making small timing sort of adaptations and adjustments and build on them week by week. So you might want to start with the 1410 and do that one or two days a week and observe any reactions to uh, how it affects you and your training. Does it affect your energy? Does it affect your stamina? Uh, does it affect your hunger? Um, all of these things need to be taken into account. Yeah, and and I think the other essential part to to this approach as well is alien is is just ensuring that your everyday nutrition is optimal consistently before beginning, and I think that if this means delaying the introduction of the time restricted eating, it'll be worth it um, in the long run because, as we said earlier, the food choices you make during the eating window do need to be nutrient-dense as well as containing the sufficient energy to fuel your training. So really important that that's all in place first. And also during the eating window, it is important to to eat sufficient for your daily life and training requirements. So really being aware of that potential to overeat or undereat. So lots of things to think about. Um, And also thinking about your eating window, as we said earlier, um, eating early early appears to be more beneficial. Um, And in fact, there, there was one study that I was reading that found that completing the food intake by three o'clock. So earlier I was just saying about finishing mid-afternoon, but this one was quite specific in in finishing food intake by three o'clock. And they found that that was most beneficial for managing the insulin levels. But, you know, like we say, it's probably 
probably impractical for most people. And then there was another study looked at late time restricted eating where most of the food intake um, happened after four o'clock. And they found there that there was a, um, a, a real reduced glucose tolerance and also that impairment to overnight fasting glucose levels. And, and also the participants felt much hunger, much hungrier. So really interesting how, how there are, there does appear to be significant differences regarding, um, t- the, the timing of when we eat. Um, regarding sort of introducing time restricted eating in the, in the middle of the day, it's, it's shown mixed results. So some, some studies showed no effect at all on any of the markers. And then others did show um, benefits to, to, um, or regarding that glycemic control. Mm. So it's definitely, um, I suppose, working out what, what works for you and, um, you know, giving it a go, I think, and seeing if it's, if it's practical. Um, but, you know, what I would say, it's important to introduce a, a weekly eater window that is practical for your circumstances and your training. So, you know, when, when you're saying these things, Karen, I know some people that, you know, they definitely don't start eating till 12, but they're maybe having a dinner at eight or nine o'clock at night and it works for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas that just wouldn't work for me. So, you know, I think it's always, you know, thinking about that personalization. Um, and I think it's important to mention that it's still to be determined whether the actual wheat eating window or the duration of time that you're not eating in the fastest state, whether which of those um, windows is the thing that's going to give you the best results, the best improvements in metabolic um, health. So it's an interesting question and an area yet to be uh, researched. Um, so, so on that note, Karen, we believe it or not, we're coming to a close again. And um, so it might be good for us to do the key takeaways, if you would, wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So I think the key takeaways are that um, time-restricted eating is only one form of intermittent fasting. However, it is the one that has been most studied when relating it to exercise and exercise performance. Um Time-restricted eating is thought to be supportive to health and well-being, principally because of its potential to maintain the synchronicity of the body's circadian system. And remember, time-restricted eating may not be suitable for every every runner. So factors that you really need to be considering include your running distances, your current blood sugar control, also current stress levels, and also any um, any potential current health problems that you've got. Um, and I think there are several potential benefits of time-restricted eating on running performance, which include uh, weight loss, reduction in the transient hyperglycemia, and the fact that there's no restrictions to energy intake, so it could be suitable for some longer training. But there are some pitfalls to it as well that a runner really needs to be considering, including the possibility that you're losing some lean muscle and the potential to over or under eat and potentially making some poor food choices. And then thinking about that stress response and the fallout from that, including inflammation and increased risk of injury and um, um, illness. And then my final takeaway really would be to ask yourself, these questions before embarking on time-restricted eating. You know, is this the correct approach for me? Will it support my training or hinder my running performance? And that would be it, Aileen. 
Brilliant. Thank you very much, Karen, for those takeaways. So lots, uh, lots to think about and um, a fascinating discussion as always. Mm. So remember, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.